Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. I'm a senior director at CFGI, and this is the program where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. So today we're going to be talking about a subject that is near and dear to everyone in business, and that is growth and value creation. And I'm pleased to welcome Jim Barnish, who's the founder and managing partner of Orchid Black. Jim, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. Hey, Jim, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, a little, about, a little bit about Orchid Black, if you would. Yeah, so imagine you're a founder or CEO. You've built a strong company and really by all measures have achieved a lot of success. You're hitting some targets but missing others. And you also believe that it's there's this opportunity in your business to grow and sell your business. And you obviously want to make it worth as much as possible. Uh, after all, you started a company to create a legacy and provide financial freedom for your family. You know, all those great things. And Ultimately, um, you wonder if there's anyone out there who can help and who's willing to align their business model or their fees, if you will, um, with the growth of your company. And that's, that's really what we've built at Orchid Black. Um, we have a value creation process that helps you understand exactly how much your business is worth today, but way more importantly, how to make it worth so much more over the next six to 36 months to ultimately realize that exit help you execute that plan and see great re rewards on the other side. Awesome. And as someone who is a uh, valuation professional, when you talk about value creation, measuring value, uh, you've got a receptive audience here in uh, yours truly. So uh, love to have this conversation with you uh, and share yes. perspectives. So why don't we talk about growth and, and value creation? Let's start with value creation. I know you've got this uh, concept of the pillars of value creation. Can you share that with the audience? Yeah, so, so my background is largely kind of the combination of entrepreneur, investor, and operator, and um, ultimately just saw throughout the growth stage process how many common obstacles, how many common uh, roadblocks there were towards growth and value creation, right? Um, my own failed projects, my own stagnant growth, missed goals, missed targets, uh, even family squabbles, <laughs> um, and ultimately uh, really focused an approach on identifying um, where there's unlocked value within a business and within the market as quickly as possible, which we do in about four weeks, um, and putting together a value creation roadmap, if you will, on how to make that happen. Um, we really look at that value at, think of a pyramid, if you will, where you build a strategy, right? You hire a team or, or talent around that strategy. That talent builds you a product or service. Uh, then you drive revenue with that product or service, and ultimately you operate the business. Value pyramid is really the same way with strategy at that top, top layer, um, then talent, then product, then revenue, then operations. And what a lot of businesses really forget and don't think about is anything beyond that operations and revenue layer, right? We constantly talk about businesses being valued around EBITDA, around revenue, and ultimately, it's really about the transferable value that you're bringing to the acquirer or to the organization that's buying your business, um, whether that's private equity or a strategic trade sale, whatever it might be. And that's really what value creation is about, is starting at strategy, going all the way through operations, taking a look at what that exit strategy looks like, um, where there's unlocked value at each of those very important layers, and moving well beyond table stakes at those operations and revenue layers to really you know, create value as quickly as possible and make sure that that value is transferable to the organization that's purchasing your company. 
Yeah, it's really a it's really a philosophy around building blocks. The same way that you build a product with a philosophy, you should do the same thing in operating your business. You touched on so many things there that resonate in my world, right? So in the valuation profession, uh, yeah, we, we measure value based on those metrics, multiples of EBITDA, multiples of revenue, discounted cash flows, and so forth. And yeah, do a cheap pop here. What you're talking about is really going behind those numbers. And you, you use the term transferable value. I'd like to drill into that just a little bit more as to how you define that and how you tease that out where you're going literally behind those numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, it definitely starts with what outcome you're looking to achieve on the other side of that exit and where that um, highest value is going to be achieved from whoever, you know, whoever the right buyer is for your business. Um, that really takes a strategy for one, right? Not just a go-to-market strategy, but an exit strategy around um, where that landing spot, that ultimate landing spot is for your company. Um, it, it takes into account the fact that you always want to be bought, not sold, right? You never want to be the one that's focused on, hey, buy my business, right? You want somebody really or multiple people really looking at you as the perfect fit for their business at each of those pyramid layers we talked about from strategy to operations. And transferable value is really the relative impact that you're going to have on their business when they do make that purchase, right? That success that story, which is really one of the reasons that folks like Microsoft buy LinkedIn for the multiples that you see, right? You, you look at it and you're like, wow, that's, that's insane. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, there's a strategic layer, there's a talent layer, there's a product layer, there's a revenue layer, and there's an operational layer that's really important um, in driving those, those multiples. Yeah, and all of those things that you mentioned in the construct of the transferable value, I, I think in industry parlance, it, it may be something that would be defined as synergy. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I, uh, it's a very consultative word that I think gets overused in a lot of ways, but that is a perfect word for um, that, that, uh, that, that, that word synergy in, in that place. Absolutely. Yeah, and everybody is striving to do that one plus one equals three kind of synergistic transaction. Yes. But uh, in, in my experience in research and looking at the data, it, it indicates that in large part, those synergies don't get realized. Um, depending on where you get your data, anywhere between 75 and 90% of deals fail to deliver that one plus one equals three synergy. Um, talk to us a little bit about your process and how you can maybe increase those odds. Yeah, so... We focus on technology companies or tech forward companies um, and specifically in the growth stage of a business. So really between 3 million and 50 million in revenues where we take clients on. Um, as we think about um, synergistic value, if you will, really falls into one of two buckets. Pre-product market fit um, and a lot of businesses that have more than 3 million in revenue unfortunately have not established product market fit. And post-product market fit which is really a different philosophy around should you grow smart first or smart and fast. Um, and if you have not established product market fit, your focus should be on just growing smart. If you have established product market fit, your focus should not only be on smart but fast. And I think that's where a lot of companies get it wrong. A lot of investors get it wrong, which is why 95% of technology companies fail. Um, that's, a, that's a big number, a really big number. And that increases when institutional capital, like venture capital, is involved because there becomes these other intentions at the table aside from 
the founders and the businesses that they're set out to achieve because there's now new stakeholders, new investors in the business. And ultimately, um, our focus as it relates to both pre-product market fit and post-product market fit is first establishing a level of alignment, a 360 perspective, if you will, of that company's true potential and the team's ability to get it done. Um, And what's really special about our program, because it is comprehensive, but also yet simple, um, and it's not not something that, like McKinsey or Big Three, Big Four, is going to be this million-dollar project, if you will, um, we're able to really establish the ultimate value potential within the company as quickly as possible, build a roadmap towards achieving that, and then help you execute it alongside, which is really where most consulting firms go wrong. You can't just give someone a strategy and hope for the best. You've really got to be hands-on and building blocks of a company and working with whomever's on the other side, the founders that have built great businesses but have a few gaps on their team in many cases. And so our focus is really taking it beyond just the assessment, beyond just the strategy, and really digging in and helping companies achieve that full potential. Good stuff. Jim, for folks who are watching, listening, and want to learn more about you or how they can work with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, um, I take office hours every week. So um, you can reach me at JB, my initials, at orchid.black. Or you can also find me on LinkedIn as I'm always on there and, uh, and always sharing a wealth of knowledge that I hope is helpful for founders out there. Yeah, that you do. So we only have about three minutes to go in this segment. So I want to kind of make this brief, but I want to sneak in one more question. Uh, and that's about valuation discounts. And, you know, in my world, there are discounts for lack of liquidity, for example, in a privately held business. Um, There's also the more subtle, nuanced discounts in terms of selecting a multiple, for example, or a discount rate based on certain qualitative factors. Talk about your process and how your your work tends to reduce those discounts. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Way too many businesses are discounted on those valuations, unfortunately. Um, and so much of it is is able to be overcome if you've got the right partner working with you. Um, number one, um, founders run into this very clear obstacle of feeling like they need to be the key man in the business forever. And then that becomes the executive team feeling like they need to be the key man in the business or, or women in the business forever. And then that just keeps evolving so that the business becomes dependent on key people in the business. That is the number one reason that businesses will get discounted on the other side of a transaction, if there's you know, reliance and over-reliance on individuals within the business to drive the business forward. What you really want to do is focus on building process around you and team around you to make sure that the team is driving the business forward rather than the founder. Um, right? If you build the right team, they will take care of your customers and your customers will take care of your business. It really is that simple of a loop. Um, And what we forget is because we've built something so special, because we're so passionate about as founders what we've built, ultimately we're not needed (laughs) to drive the business in every way, shape, or form. And so, you know, we can really think about building a business in a very different philosophy if we just bring on the right team members, create the right process around them, and then use technology to be able to, you know, assert some additional scale in the business. And that is number one discount measure Um, no matter how you look at the business if you don't get that in place. Um, Aside from that, it's really intangible value around things that you may not have uh, built from a process, from an operational perspective, Um, not having your financials in order, 
right? Um, really not having a quality of, of, of revenue within what you've built, right? Customer sure. concentration, things like that. And there's a wealth of other items that connect to discounting that we probably don't have time to get into today, but would be more than happy to talk to somebody about that as a follow-up. Yeah, we can do a whole other show on, on valuation discounts. But <laughs> for now, we're going to have to take a quick pause. Jim, don't go anywhere. You watching and listening, stick, stick right there where you are. And we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about growth and value creation with Jim Barnish from Orchid Black. Jim, great conversation in the first segment here. Uh, I want to continue on that and build some more momentum around another topic that um, it goes hand in hand with value creation. That is branding, uh, the brand recognition, brand awareness, brand value. And I know you went through uh, a branding exercise recently. Can you maybe talk about the topic of branding and maybe share some of your experiences? Yeah, I absolutely can. Um, if we just jump back to uh, early 2020 and we were kind of rounding out our second year in business, um, we had some really big wins and, and good clients in our first couple of years, but there were also a ton of you know, obstacles and roadblocks. And one area in specific was um, marketing, right? And, and that's just what we thought about where marketing was, was um not really hitting what we needed it to, but what we were missing. And um, we had tried it all around demand generation. You know, while the company was growing in a lot of other areas, marketing efforts um, really just weren't working. Um, you know, email campaigns, lots of content, right? Even the, the general marketing strategy based on what we had done previously, you would think that it had absolutely worked. And we had raving client testimonials. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, we brought in our third marketing leader, <laughs> um, coming less than six months after we had just onboarded our last one. Um, you know, my thought was, this is different. I told myself not wanting to consider the alternative that I'm wrong. Uh, but ultimately, had good reason to believe those words. And, and part of that was that this person had experience not only in demand generation marketing, but brand strategy. Um, and what happened was really a transformative journey uh, that was undertaken and uh, experience for me around what true branding strategy looks like in driving organizational growth um, through the embracing of who our customers were and our value proposition and ultimately, you know, what we wanted to, to bring to the market beyond just demand generation. It was our mission, our vision, our unique selling proposition, if you will. And, and so in, in changing that, that outlook on the brand and becoming less uh, focused on what we thought we needed to be more focused on what the customer was telling us and the market it was telling us we needed to be. Um, we really underwent this 
transformative hero's journey, if you will, around aligning with the innovative founders that we serve um, and move from this dodgy old brand called Morgan Hill Partners to this, this very cool growth feeling company called Orchid Black, which is really focused on um, hunting for that rare breed of partner um, in the jungle of opportunity, if you will, and a promising business that, like a prized exotic orchid, um, really is able to focus on emerging true value. Uh, orchids can grow for up to 100 years when tended to properly. And that, that black word, that exclusiveness, right? Um, we serve companies in that are only profitable or in the black or on the route towards being in the black. And so all of it started to come together in this mm. confluence of the cultivation of growth and, um, and ultimately land on Orchid Black and a totally new look and feel and brand and um, all of it was really around the fact that when properly nurtured, nur- uh, sorry, when properly nurtured, orchids thrive just like companies. Um, and so that was uh, that was a really fun, exhilarating experience. I think my marketing team would probably probably wanted to kill me a time or two, but but ultimately it was um, it was really transformative, and we're seeing the results. Um, pay off. Um, and so it was cool experiencing some of the things I've seen our clients experience uh, around brand, around, you know, true uh, essence, if you will, around mission, vision, and values. Yeah, that's a good story. And I'm going to ask you to share another personal story, if you will, on the topic of leadership. Um, with regard to founders, I've heard them say many times it's lonely at the top, and you alluded to it in the first segment about the need to build a team and not relying on the founders and per se, uh, but that's one of the hardest things for them to do is to let go, and this this notion of founder's burnout um, I know is real, and I'd like to get your perspective on that. Yeah, uh, starting a business isn't easy, and growing a business is even harder, and uh, as founders, um, you know, we're all taught that we need to be superhuman, and the hustle is everything, and uh, really, uh, you know, burnout would make us weak, but Ultimately, we're not superhuman. It doesn't make us weak. We are human. <laughs> uh, and we don't think about it or recognize it because startups and growth stage businesses are just supposed to be hard. Uh, um, but from my own example, you know, I really hit burnout um, in, a number of, in a number of ways, one of which was um, you know, thinking about um, building this business as fast as I could, right, versus taking our own advice around growing smart and growing fast. And you think about um, blitz scaling your company or, you know, really scaling your business. You don't really think about uh, blitz scaling your personal growth um, or, you know, not just muscling through it, right? There's an element of, of who you are that's part of it. And so when I was going through my own personal struggles, my own personal mindset, I didn't realize the impact that I was having on my team based on what I was going through that I wasn't sharing. Um, and I was impacting the team in a negative way. I was impacting my fiance in a negative way. Um, and I ultimately, you know, was really losing sight of why I set out on this journey in the first place, which was to build a great company and build great people within the company. Um, I was so focused on in the business, if you will, that, I really couldn't take a step back and focus on the businesses and on my personal life. And so um, I really took a step back about that mental tax. Um, I 
develop my own system, if you will, to adopt a more human and less superhuman approach, right mindset, and started doing a lot of things differently. Uh, Carved out personal time, carved out a focused approach around, number one, having an executive coach, Um, number two, developing my own three- to five-year personal journey, celebrating the little wins and and training my, my mental state to be really focused on uh, you know, the, the journey that we set out to do um, and that I set out to do and, and you know, really focused approach around not just the business, but myself. Um, and it's really been transformative in not only building that personal mindset, but uh, in building the company and the team within the company. Uh, I don't know what I would do without my executive coach. I don't know what I would do without the system that I, that I developed that starts with that executive coach. And I am just so happy um, about the results that I'm seeing both in my personal life and company based on that. So I'm very passionate, if you can't tell, about avoiding and helping other founders avoid personal burnout to ultimately make sure that the company and themselves are successful as well. Yeah, it takes great awareness to recognize that you're experiencing those things and the need to do something about it because I mean, that's why they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first so you can help others. So great story, and thank you for sharing. Jim, for folks who are watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, feel free. I take personal hours every week, um, office hours, if you will. So feel free to reach out to me at jb at orchid.black. My initials jb at orchid.black. Or find me on LinkedIn at Grow Smart, Grow Fast. I'd love to talk to you and see if I can help you. Great. So we, we talked a little bit about this idea of building a team and staffing and obviously attracting and retaining talent, especially in this environment, is critical to business success. It looks like we have about just a few minutes to go in the segment here, about five or four minutes to go here. So I don't want to go too deep into a rabbit hole, Jim. But can you give some advice to those who are watching and listening who are thinking about building a team What's, what's your counsel for how to attract and retain talent and maybe even touch on millennials who are always the, um, the topic in, in, among the, uh, the business community? They sure are. And if you look at any toughest challenges for business owners list, you'll find hiring and retaining employees at or near the top, uh, especially millennial talent, which, you know, it's crazy thinking about how 55% of millennials are not engaged at work and 42% of them change jobs every two years. <laughs> uh, even that $30 billion is ultimately the cost of millennial turnover within the U.S. economy. I think I could go on and on and on, but you know, ultimately building a business of qualified, talented people that are going to treat your clients like you would treat them is never easy. And it's even harder at the earlier stages of a company where you've got literally everything working against you, right? A million things to do, and hiring is a time-consuming process. You likely don't have the cash that's comparable to similar job roles at much larger companies. But what's really cool is you've got something on your side, which is the ability to grow your talent within the business and allow them to take on as much responsibility as they're capable of. And that's really what we've done and what we encourage our clients to do since we focus on that growth stage, which is, you know, build Orchid Black or client, you know, the companies that we work with as a as a meritocracy from the top down as much as possible if your business model supports it. Um, you know, for us, it all emanates from our performance-based model that we employ with our clients. Um, you know, offering you know, our talent uh, equity within our own business uh, or upside within our own business for how we perform the same way we do with our clients. 
And it's really been a big differentiator for us being able to compete for great talent. Um, also, if you've got a great value proposition, right, there's, there's nothing that gets people fired up like an internal value proposition the same way there's nothing that gets the market fi- fired up about, you know, an external value proposition. And so um, those key things around attracting and retaining talent, especially millennials, um, you don't get that and you don't learn that in a university. You learn that from real life lessons and, and being an operator um, and ultimately is something that, um, you know, very, very much so a lot of founders, a lot of companies need to take note of as millennials take over the workforce and Gen Z right behind it. Yeah. Jim, in about the 60 seconds or so that we have here, I want to just sneak in one last question here for you. And that is to maybe get your advice for um, a founder out there who is hearing these words and and having it resonate and they're on the fence about what to do and and how to proceed. What can you offer them in terms of taking that next step forward in terms of benefiting the growth of their business? Yeah, I think the, the first step is um, taking an honest look at the impact that you're having within your organization um, and your, in your, your personal life as well and, and what you want to achieve on the other side of uh, what's next, right? A lot of founders want to ultimately have a great exit and invest in companies or, you know, start a new company, whatever it might be. Those goals are so important to recognize and internalize and then figure out whether you can solve of it yourself, or if you might want some outside counsel, some outside experts to help either drive the value of your business like we do, grow the value of your business, or something completely different, right? Um, And that's really the fundamental thing to realize is what are your goals and then how can you get them done and be purposeful about what you want to build and and what you want to see on the other side of that build. Well said. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. It's been a pleasure. And folks, thank you for watching and listening from all of us here at RVN TV. We really appreciate your support. Wherever you're watching or listening, please do hit the subscribe button so that you can stay in contact with us and learn what we're up to week to week. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and I will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.